All right, welcome back to another installment of the 411 on Wrestling Retro Review Series, as we're doing uh, each and every Friday here on the podcast. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, and uh, back with me this week, you know, we've had him on uh, for our first retro review we did a couple weeks ago, and he is back once again. You know him as the host of Dissecting Dynamite uh, on 411 Mania, and that is, of course, Andy Perez. And Andy, uh, we are going to be going all the way back uh, to 2001 to discuss the uh, 2001 Royal Rumble. Um, how are you, my friend? And uh, how, what did you think just overall going back and uh, watching this Rumble from uh, 20 years ago? Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I, I always love being on the 411 on wrestling podcast and, uh, and this show, oh gosh, it's crazy, isn't it? Uh, shows from this era, just, they just really hit different and, <laughs> and a lot of craziness, a lot of craziness, a lot of kookiness going on all throughout this show. But because of, uh, because of the context surrounding it, uh, you, you believe it all and it all makes sense. So, uh, so I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, there was. Uh, you talk about different eras. This was a different era, and I think as you go through the show, there are a lot of things that stand out about uh, things you probably wouldn't be seeing in today's era. But I think we always say that about the Attitude Era in comparison uh, to today. Whether you use PG or whatever you want to use to label uh, this particular era in wrestling, but uh, it was very different. But uh, that did not mean that uh, it did not stand out as uh, what I think a lot of people believe was. Probably one of the better rumbles uh, they've ever had, and maybe from top to bottom, just with the undercard, uh, maybe the best rumble uh, in history. But we'll we'll decide that after we talk about it. But it is the 2001 Royal Rumble, January 21st, 2001, uh, at the New Orleans Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana. And uh, I'll tell you one thing, Andy, that stood out for me, and I we see this more. I think now, you know, WWE still does this, but they don't do it to the level that they used to. I think we see it a lot more like, you know, AEW does it a lot. New Japan does it a lot. They seemingly use these video hype packages really, I mean, for everything. And it seemed like, you know, they used to do such a great job with this. And again, they still do. But, uh, man, I, I just love the opening video packages they had in this era. Every pay-per-view, you knew you were getting one. Um, and just uh, the way they presented it, I thought it was always awesome. Oh yeah, I mean WWE video production is always top notch, but uh, but yeah, from this era, especially with the with the narration that with the voiceovers that they have, it always paints a, it always paints such a perfect picture. I mean, and this one this one paints it perfectly. I mean, for many entrants, this is the closest that they'll ever get to the WWF title, but for those that have held it, they those who have tasted it, they they've been, become like proverbial championship junkies per se, and they'll do whatever it takes to get that title back. Uh, before their body gives out, at least. Uh, I mean, like, I've always wanted to work on these types of, like, video packages for WWE, for WWF, for as long as I've been a fan. Uh, and, and and one of these, uh, this one was was just top-notch. And then from there, just going into the, uh, going into the pyro, the absolutely, like, war zone-like pyro, and the crowd is just crazy. You see the, the rainbow of colored signs, the camera flashes. Oh, my gosh, what a hot show. Yeah, we talked about it uh, when we did the uh, looking back at the uh, the Shield and the Wyatt family a couple weeks ago. Just uh, watching the crowd, like that's just it's so different now because it's almost like we've been trained for the past um, you know whatever nine ten months of not having a full crowd like this. And uh, when you actually see it, and you know, it's just it's something else. And especially during this era, as we know, I mean the the buy rates and the audience, like everything, was just 
so through the roof, and uh, it was uh, definitely another level. But uh, by the way, the sponsor for this one, uh, as was many uh, throughout this era, 1-800-COLLECT, um, which was, man, just uh, always 1-800-COLLECT. <laughs> they they love WWE and vice versa because, um, man, Andy, I don't know how many collect calls we were making back in this era, but I'll tell you, there there, there were more collect calls made by wrestling fans than anybody because these, these guys were all over the place in terms of advertising. Yeah, it must have been a successful business relationship because, like you said, all over the yeah, they were everywhere uh, for sure. So 1-800-COLLECT is your sponsor for this one. Um, and immediately, you know, they do the panning of the crowd. And this wound up being a theme that I caught throughout the evening here on the show. Uh, the Trish signs were everywhere. Everybody loved them, some Trish Stratus. Um, and there were a ton of signs. And uh, one of the first ones that stood out to immediately tell you that this was a different era, uh, Playboy, um, colon, uh, win Trish, win. So that was one of several Trish Stratus signs that I caught uh, uh, and we'll be bringing up some of the others later. But, uh, man, the, the crowd loved them some Trish, and uh, that's for sure. And she played a big role uh, on this show as well. But before we get to what she did, let's start with the opening match. Uh, that was the Dudley Boys versus Edge and Christian for the WWF Tag Team titles. And, I mean, this was one, I think, you know, going back, Andy, we think about all the gimmick matches these teams had together with the Dudleys and Edge and Christian and the Hardys and, Going back, I I remember back. I'm like, wait, wasn't this like a tables match or something or something else? I'm like, wait a second, no, it's just a regular match. Like so unusual uh, to think back that these teams actually had regular matches that didn't involve uh, someone flying off a ladder or going through a table uh, or anything like that. They teased the table a couple times in here, uh, but uh, they really never got to anything uh, to that level. But um, I thought this was, you know, again, you knew the chemistry between these two. They, they had always worked well together. Uh, we saw it even more, you know, as they progressed during their careers, just all the different matches that they've had together at this point. Uh, the build was that uh, Edge and Christian have been using the concertos on them. Uh, they sent Bubba through a table, actually, on the previous SmackDown, and there were just lots of dastardly deeds that uh, Edge and Christian were up to. Uh, I thought this was a really fun way to start the show, and again, it's, it's funny just to think back that this was actually just a regular wrestling match and didn't involve a bunch of uh, shenanigans outside of that. Yeah, and, and both of these teams, uh, as teams, probably at the peak of their powers at this point. Yeah. But yeah, a, a fun opening match. Uh, how, how do you feel about the use of, uh, of like kayfabe concussions within storylines? Because looking back at it now, sometimes it can get a bit uncomfortable. And in this scenario, it's particularly tough because there's obviously like a major element of truth to this. I mean, with the high-risk matches that these teams have wrestled in the in the past, like unprotected uh, chair shots, falling from crazy heights, and obviously there aren't any nets to break their fall. I mean, like Edge would go on to uh, to at least have a first for retiring at first from neck injuries. Christian yeah. would retire due to these concussions, and there have of course been reports in recent months of like a uh, Devon Dudley's health and things of that nature. So, uh, so sometimes whenever they play around with a uh, with, with concussions like that, looking back at storylines, it can sometimes make, uh, make me uncomfortable, but uh, the, the charisma of these two teams and how they work together, it's, it's just undeniable. That's the thing. Well, and I mean, as we're going to talk about here in a minute, uh, they they were not against playing up uh, the real injuries uh, with another match that they will have and just kind of playing them off uh, in terms of uh, making a storyline out of an, an injury, quote unquote. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, that was something. And, you know, of course, you had someone else on the show, which we're about to talk about, um, where head trauma and that kind of stuff certainly uh, played a role in terms of him. So, uh, yeah, this was, uh, man, and, you know, and again, you talk about difference in eras. Just going back and, you know, there were even, and there's lots of chair shots on this show. 
Uh, we'll talk about, you know, just some of the, the guys that took chair shots later in the Royal Rumble, basically turning into a hardcore match midway through. Um, so there, there were lots of different elements like that, uh, for sure. And, and in this one, um, I know one thing I always think back on is, my goodness, the, the what's up. Like, Devon and Bubba, they, this was at the top of the what's up because everybody <laughs> yeah. was doing it. And, uh, man, they they went for it here. Or actually, it was uh, Edge and Christian went for it. Uh, then Devon threw Edge uh, onto Christian Dudley's hit the 3D, uh, win the titles, and then uh, JR, who is our favorite. So if you if you listen to Dissecting Dynamite or watch it, um, we always love JR's uh, throw, throwing it to uh, the picture-in-picture, picture, but uh, JR's line here of, those damn Dudleys have done it, uh, he just, JR was at his best at this point. There's no doubt about that. Most definitely. That, that whole finishing sequence I was a big fan of, that uh, that 3D countered into, into a spear and then a DDT, yeah. I think. And then, like you said, Edge and Christian trying the what's up only to get countered. And uh, and I think uh, Christian's face went into Edge's crotch. I'm, I wonder if that reeked of awesomeness. But then uh, but then a 3D for the for the win and, and a couple uh, allegedly concussed tag team champions. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting match. Uh, you know, again, I, I think a lot of people are always going to think about the ones they had with you know, the different stipulations and everything like that, but uh, still a, a good match from these two or these two teams, which you would expect uh, given uh, their careers to that point. Uh, all right. Before the next match, we had some uh, backstage shenanigans and it started with Drew Carey. Yes. Uh, Drew Carey at the Royal Rumble. And uh, he, he became uh, a, a focal point here throughout the show uh, and into the Rumble match. Um, you know, you had your backstage skits where Drew Carey's there uh, Vince McMahon saying that, you know, Steve Austin's going to be in the Rumble, Triple H getting his match against Kurt Angle for the title. Uh, then you transition to Triple H with Stephanie. He wants her to play nice with Trish. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where Drew Carey comes in. Stephanie plays along and basically says that Trish is a big Drew Carey fan. So takes him uh, to meet her. Then you've got the APA uh, playing cards, showing each other their Royal Rumble numbers, which, uh, as I'm going to talk about later on, didn't wind up really being anything or meaning anything. Uh, and then Crash Holly, who was uh, friends with them at the time, basically saying he's going to come in and eliminate them. So uh, this was the usual kind of uh, era where you had lots of different backstage stuff, uh, even on these pay-per-views. Uh, so lots of it here to kind of you know bulk things up and lead us into the next match, which was... Chris Jericho versus Chris Benoit in a ladder match for the Intercontinental title. Um, and, of course, Sandy, we talked about a second ago, um, head trauma. Uh, this was something that undoubtedly played a role in the whole Benoit situation. And I always say uh, it's still go. It's still to this point. Like, this was, you know, whatever, 14 years ago almost now. Um, it's still hard to go back and watch some of these matches with him and, and see some of the things um, that you see just because uh, it's, you know, I think that human nature element of it, it's just, it's still really tough, even that many years later, knowing what happened, uh, because th there's just lots of different things. And really, one of those spots stood out right away in this match where, you had Benoit go for the dive um, through, through the middle rope to the outside onto Jericho, but instead uh, Jericho grabs a chair and throws it into Benoit's head as he's diving onto the floor. Uh, this was a match that, that was different from your usual ladder matches. Uh, they didn't really have a bunch of you know high spots. It was more of that technical ladder match, if you can call it that, uh, where they're working you know different things in and, and doing moves on the ladder. Uh, you had Jericho with the, uh, the octopus on top of the ladder. That was what J Jim Ross called it. Um, and then eventually uh, Benoit using his power to push the ladder 
ladder over with Jericho on top of it. I thought that was insane, where Benoit was laying under the ladder and somehow pushed it uh, to where he pushed Jericho over on it. Uh, and then uh, eventually it was Jericho uh, throwing Benoit to the outside, grabbing the title uh, to win it. A really good match, uh, which, again, given the chemistry between these two, you're not going to be surprised by that. Uh, but uh, it was a different ladder match in terms of uh, usually these days we see all the high-flying moves and everything. This is more of a, a technical style, if you will. Yeah, probably uh, if it weren't for the for the whole Benoit situation, probably one of my favorite ladder yeah. matches of all time. Uh, just, just a lot of creativity, and I think did they only use one ladder throughout this? Throughout I think this whole match? I want to say that was right. Like I, I have to go back and look at it, but there weren't many. Like it's not now where we see like five or six scattered around, and it turns right. into fifteen. So, but yeah, and, and this match is actually one of my one of my earliest wrestling memories. I, di- I didn't actually start watching until uh, in, end of two thousand two, beginning of two thousand three. Yeah. But when I did start watching, of course, just like anybody, I went to my local video store at the time <laughs> and got all of the VHSs. Uh, I don't even remember if DVDs were were prevalent at that time, but but this was one of the first shows that I that I watched, and I remember really really being attached to this match for for obvious reason reasons. Like you said, a lot of a uh, Really interesting spots that 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 Benoit dived to the outside, Jericho catching him with the chair, uh, Jericho with like a modified Russian leg sweep while Benoit was like stuck in the ladder up on up in the corner, uh, Jericho using the ladder as like a slingshot over the top rope, catching Benoit like right under the chin, like a strong metal uppercut. But yeah, uh, just a lot of creativity in this match, and uh, and yeah, Jericho ultimately winning. Uh, and Jericho was the one that picked the stipulation and he proved his instincts right. But what an amazing match really makes you sit back and consider how long Jericho has been doing this <laughs> stuff at this uh, pun intended uh, elite level. And of course, makes you reflect on what could have been if uh, what could have been with Benoit if it weren't for the terrible, tragic final days of his life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it was because of matches like this that that. Uh, that it led to the brain issues and then who knows, who knows what, what could have been. Yeah. It's uh like I said, even, even for me, it's still, it's still different going back and watching his matches. But uh, if you, if you're able to just sort of look at it within that scope of that era, uh, there's no doubt that this was, you know, one of the best at the time in terms of how they did this. Uh, and then again, the, the thing about, like you said, with Jericho, um, we're sitting here, you know, 20 years later and uh, he's still doing his thing in a very high profile spot. Um, maybe, maybe not doing these types of ladder matches, but he's still proven that he can, he can go and do some of these matches. Um, and uh, yeah, this was, this was really good. I mean, this was, you know, I think certainly from top to bottom, if you just, you know, if you didn't enjoy the rumble or if you didn't think, if you don't grade the Royal rumble in terms of uh, doing match ratings and all that kind of stuff, uh, this was the best thing on the show in terms of, uh, this match and the way it unfolded. Um, then we had more backstage uh, shenanigans. Uh, Drew Carey is with Trish Stratus, uh, and he's just he's selling his accomplishments uh, in life. And uh, that's when uh, Vince comes in because we know that Vince and Trish had their thing going on at the time. And so Vince decides that if uh, Drew Carey wants to impress fans, uh, impress Trish, uh, he's going to put him in the rumble, and that's how he can do it. Um, and then it was uh, this was sort of some foreshadowing for our next match. China with Billy Gunn. Uh, he's pleading with her not to wrestle. This is where they were playing up 
um, all the different sort of elements of China's neck injury and all that, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But uh, this was, again, a little foreshadowing with that. Uh, Jericho uh, with Michael Cole with his frosted tips and uh, talking about winning the title. Uh, <laughs> Michael Cole here, man. It was uh, – you want to talk about – that? that's something that is different. Michael Cole's look in 2001 versus Michael Cole's look – in 2021, um, this guy was uh, – Michael Cole was 2001. I think I think we can say that. He looks like an infant here. It's, it's crazy <laughs> how, how young he looks. But, but yeah, uh, what you were talking about earlier with, uh, with how the pay-per-views are structured with these backstage segments, it's, it's really interesting to see how things have, uh, have evolved because re- really uh, they usually go in groups of three, and between each match there, there are like three backstage segments kind of acting as little scenes – cutting back and forth throughout these stories throughout the night, kind of padding each scene, but much different than how we see the programming structure today. And, and I, I really enjoyed it. It gives a pretty good balance with just the way that you're viewing the show. And even the way that the camera is moving in these backstage segments, like in the, in that whole APA situation, the camera like moves in and kind of stays low rather than being locked like uh, how it is uh, nowadays. But these backstage segments, they're, the way they're shot more kinetic than, than we're used to more movement. Uh, but yeah, very, very interesting to watch how they've, how they Yeah. And you had, I think you had such so many top stars like built to this point to where it's like, you know, we got to give these guys outside of just the matches. Like we've got to, we've got to find a way to put them on TV more and we got to have them in more angles and segments. And I think it's what you saw here, you know, with all the stuff with Trish and Vince and, um, you know, with triple H and Stephanie and, I think there's just so many, so many things like that where it's like we we need these guys on for multiple segments rather than just putting them in a match. Um, so that 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 was definitely the theme here, and we saw that so much during the Attitude Era, uh, where sometimes the angles themselves were bigger than the matches, uh, for sure. And then that led us into the um, a video package uh, pushing. Uh, the entry uh, from China and then at the hands of Ivory. Then I had the skits with Ivory mocking her uh, with the neck brace and all this other stuff. And then that's where the actual match happens, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, China versus Ivory, WWF women's title. Uh, I'll tell you right away, Andy. I, of course, unless you go back and watch, like you forget sometimes, like you, there's a lot of things you remember, but this was the first time in a long time because I guess I haven't really watched anything from this era with this group, but my goodness, the right to censor entrance music with just this siren on and on and on gotta be in the top five for one of the worst entrance music in the history of the world. (laughs) But I will say like it was intended that way. So it wasn't like it was an accidental thing. Uh, It was intended to be awful. And man, just listening to that siren go off for two plus minutes. um, I, I, again, I don't know how you couldn't hate the right to censor at that point. And what's even worse, because of the rumble later tonight, we're going to hear it what feels like <laughs> 13 more times. I mean, like it, is, it is truly terrible. I, I, I'm on board with that. Yeah, it, it was awful, um, for sure. And so this was, you know, this was that point, and, and we'll talk about the other members later, to where, you know, it started with Stevie Richards, and it eventually grew into bringing in all these different people, um, you know, turning a couple people who were the opposite of right to censor um, and putting them in there. But we'll talk about those uh, guys in just a bit. This match was not very long. Uh, it was China basically controlling the entire match. Um, and then you have China sort of playing up her neck injury. She goes uh, for whatever it was, the, the handspring in the corner and then goes uh, to back into Ivory and basically just falls over 
um, acts like she can't move. Ivory pins her right away to get the win. They go into full-on, you know, serious mode on commentary. JR's voice gets lower. Uh, Lawler goes into the ring. Uh, Billy Gunn comes out. Uh, they bring out the stretcher. Everybody's quiet. And it's funny. It, well, it's not funny, but I actually, you know, on Grilling JR, they did the podcast really as today as we're listening to this. I listened to it earlier. And, um, you know, Law or Jim Ross was basically talking about how this was one of those things where you get direction, you know, this was the direction they wanted to go in terms of, uh, you know, Vince McMahon and everyone. They, this is how they wanted to play it up in terms of softening uh, their voices and making it sound uh, this way. But uh, they did also bring up on the podcast sort of the parallels with that, with the whole Owen Hart situation and everything. And this is one that looks you back on and you're like, ooh, this does not age well at all in terms of this angle. Um, and, you know, I get what they were trying to do, I guess, because it was an angle and they had built up this whole China neck injury thing. But the, the problem, I think, was if you actually watch the replay, which they show multiple times, I'm, I'm actually surprised thinking back that they actually showed this. But, like, she barely hits her. Like, she barely touches her. And whenever she goes for the move, it's almost like she didn't even really make full contact at all. Had she made, like, that full contact where her neck just comes back, then I think maybe you can sell that a little bit better. But she barely touches her coming off the, the back handspring um, and then just goes down. And I think most people in the audience knew what they were going for. But at the same time, I also think most people probably were groaning a little bit going, Ugh, you know, this is this is what they're doing. Uh, I can't say this was anything worth watching at all because uh, looking back on it, definitely one that uh, does not age very well. Yeah, if anything, the crowd just seems kind of confused. Yeah. I mean – another uncomfortable angle and and yeah i i just don't really think it think it lands on like a performance perspective i mean like china her, her performance is good in terms of just like acting storytelling like her eyes are wide she looks confused like she doesn't know what's going on commentary sells it but maybe yeah maybe it's because the move just didn't look very devastating maybe it's because uh the crowd is chanting for sergeant slaughter as she's being wheeled away i i mean like i'm not sure but uh but yeah, uh, another odd thing to incorporate in the storylines, especially after, like like you said, several real-life tragedies uh, due to either <clears throat> botched circumstances or botched moves that have even led to like neck breaks and paralyzations up to up to this point. But uh, but still, I, I I'm still always excited to to watch China from this era. She's she's such a force. And then Ivory, uh, I, I, Ivory's usually fun to watch in the ring as well. So watching China just fling around ivory getting up to that point was still pretty enjoyable for me, but yeah, just, just kind of like a wet blanket of an ending and just kind of uncomfortable and awkward to watch. Yeah. I think it's something else that, that JR brought up on his podcast is basically that, you know, at this time, like China didn't want to wrestle women. Like she didn't want, like she wanted to, because it's like the year before we think about it, she's wrestling Jericho and, um, you know, hardcore Holly and uh, you get the whole intercontinental title situation. And, you know, that came off the Jeff Jarrett thing in 99. And um, so, so I think it's just, it's one of those things weird to think back on, but um, you know, China was definitely, she was different and there's no doubt about that in terms of uh, what she was able to do and the believability that 
that she added. Um, and uh, definitely, this was this was not one of the highlights, I would say, of China's wrestling career because uh, this was just, uh, yeah, this, this wasn't great at all. Um, more backstage segments uh, before we get to the championship match. Um, Stephanie and Trish back at it again. <laughs> I mean, they've they've been on the screen at this point. I think in every backstage segment, like they're all over the place, uh, but they were really playing this up, and we know what it's eventually going to lead to uh, with those two. Um, Drew Carey, uh, he makes uh, an appearance in the WWF locker room, and so does uh, the big red machine, Kane, and that sets up uh, a nice little tease uh, for later on with those. Um, D'Lo and Mosh, who were actually at this time because Mosh was going as Chaz, they were doing the the whole lowdown thing, which I barely remembered, uh, with Tiger Ali Singh. Uh, Vince basically saying they are replaced by Drew Carey, Tiger Ali Singh, not happy about that. It uh, doesn't really matter because uh, nothing's going to change there. Uh, then, one of, I thought, Andy, the probably the Oscar performance of the night was uh, Triple H grunting into a mirror and then headbutting it uh, <laughs> as he prepared for his WWF title match. I thought this was, you know, for all the all the hell that people give Goldberg for uh, hitting his head on the lockers and everything, uh, Triple H grunting into a mirror and then headbutting it before he goes out for his match. I don't think that can be very safe at all either. So, I, I don't know about you, but I, I found Triple H's backstage segments leading up to his match with uh, Kurt Angle, at least on this pay-per-view, kind of awkward because, like you said earlier, earlier in the evening, he uh, he interacted with Drew Carey along with Stephanie. And, uh, and he's just playing it super low key, doesn't seem very charismatic at all. I mean, like we know what Triple H can do on the mic. We know the stories that he can sell, but he, it, he just wasn't selling the situation for me at least. Uh, but yeah, and then, <laughs> and then, yeah, his, his Goldberg cosplay here, it didn't really do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go back and see if I can get a screenshot of that to use as our uh, image for this podcast uh, when it goes up uh, on the site and of course on YouTube and everything because that's a that's a great scene and it was almost like you know what we got to get a Triple H uh, we got to get another segment backstage with him and it's almost like we have nothing what do we do I know let's just have him you know grunt and then uh, head but a mirror and that's that's all we need so that's what they went with uh, and then that uh, was getting him prepared for the WWF title match, uh, which was Triple H uh, going up against the champion, Kurt Angle. Uh, they did a hype video before the match, uh, playing up the Triple H versus Angle, uh, playing up the Vince and Trish affair, which, uh, you know, with the whole Stephanie and Trish, and a lot of connecting parts there in this one. And uh, that is where, and then why, uh, the Trish is the one that actually accompanies uh, Angle out for this match, which so you have Stephanie and Triple H's corner. Um, and then uh, Andy and uh, sign number two that I caught for the evening on uh, the Trish Stratus uh, train here for the fans. Um, it was, and again, you talk about signs, probably would not be let in, I think, today's era. I don't think you're going to be seeing this on the Thunderdome anywhere. Uh, there was a sign very clearly in the front row. I want to say it was the first or second row. Hey, Trish, spank me. Um, so there you go. There was uh, another Attitude Era sign. Uh, and boy, this was uh, this was a match that uh, I don't know that really reached the level of that sign because this was a... It was a very methodical match. Like, I think that's probably the best way to put it. Looking back at Triple H and Angle, I don't know that they ever had any of the... Like, I love both these guys, but I don't know that they ever had, like, that just one big match in my mind that completely stands out above the others. Uh, I always thought the chemistry was good, but I don't want to say that it was great. I think their chemistry was better maybe outside the ring and some of the skits and stuff that they did versus the actual in-ring stuff. Uh, and he also, Andy, I thought it was different here because... 
you, both of these two were heels, and like this was like you never really knew because it was like Triple H all of a sudden was the heel for one second, and it was almost like really throughout the entire match, Angle felt like he was sort of the person that should be cheered in this thing, uh, but the, the fans were still cheering Triple H at times. Um, you had Triple H working on Angle's knee throughout, uh, went for the figure four, so kind of played up that you know Ric Flair esque performance here uh, from Triple H, uh, and then Andy, that's where things uh, really started to escalate, where get chaos everywhere where you've got uh, Trish coming in to get involved uh, her and Stephanie going at it they're fighting on the announce table uh, Vince comes out he's putting Trish over his shoulder uh, Stephanie's chasing and attacks uh, pretty much all hell broke loose after that yeah it, crazy crazy match overall I mean I mean uh, in terms of the Kurt and Triple H I guess rivalry it's probably when you think about it Kurt's longest lasting rivalry in the US or in yeah. the WWE rather stretching from I mean, like 2000 all the way up to his return and mania match with Rousey and, and Triple H and Stephanie back in 2017. But but this particular storyline, like you said, the dynamic that they're playing with here is kind of difficult to work with in general. Kurt Angle going up against the McMahon, Holmesley regime, I guess, and, and Kurt, like you said, employing the, the services of Trish Stratus, who's been entangled with that <laughs> awkward affair with Vince McMahon that, of course, is going to be paid off over at... Uh, WrestleMania 17 and then wrestling I mean wrestling it's it's always been called kind of like a testosterone fueled soap opera of sorts and 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 this storyline is truly representative representative of that point of view I mean like what did you think of this type of like this era of storytelling here Uh, a lot of involvement with Vince McMahon and of course uh looking at Lita's comments on on McMahon and and, uh, and him forcing her into the live sex celebration. Of course, McMahon has his hands on Trish, has his hands on uh, Sable, has his hands on uh, just about every diva in this era. Uh, it, it, once again, a little a little awkward to watch in places. And, and of course, with King on commentary, he doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. And you brought that up, and it was actually, who was it, one of the... One of the sites um, had um, Candace Michelle on too, and she was. They were asking her about one of the things, like you know, what's what's it like, you know, kissing Vince McMahon and a, a storyline and all that. And it was just like, I don't know, like you had Tori Wilson. We we're talking about Trish. Like it's just, I don't know, man. Vince, uh, Vince was uh, quite quite the character on screen. Uh, that's for sure because uh, he he was he was a different different cat uh, for sure uh, during during this era, but. I mean, this was this was something like you said, sort of the soap opera style. I mean, this is. I think the reason it worked was because, unlike today, it seems like they have a pretty long term plan of where they wanted to go with the stuff. And you know, it did lead to Stephanie versus Trish at No Way Out the month the month later. Um, and then, of course, you know, even at that show, you had the great uh, three stages of hell match with Triple H and Austin. Um, and we're going to talk about Austin in a second. But I think the the way that they paid everything off. Uh, seemingly made it work better. And it's almost like you weren't just doing this to do it. Uh, you were doing it for a reason because you knew it was going to lead to something. And so even with all the, the interference here, we had Vince and Trish and Stephanie and everybody getting involved, um, you knew it was going to lead to something. And again, you had the same here uh, with the actual finish in this match. 
you know, ref bumps. Those were the things too during this era. Poor Earl Hedner, he just took a ton of ref bumps, uh, and uh, he actually took a couple here uh, where he takes one with Triple H uh, hitting him off the apron, and then he takes another by getting his head bounced into the steps. Uh, so this was probably not Earl's favorite night uh, for sure. Uh, Triple H hits the pedigree, no referee in that, leads us to Steve Austin coming out, destroying Triple H, uh, playing up the fact that Triple H had cost uh, Stone Cold the title. And so you get the belt shot, the stunner, and then Earl Hebner with the slowest three count in the history of the world, which I can't blame the guy because he just got, you know, punched off the apron and he got thrown into the steel steps. Um, Earl Hebner took about 35 seconds to count to three here, but uh, angle covers, gets the win. As I said, I even enjoying both these two guys during this era, I just did not think this was a match that, you know, it was just... I don't know. This just wasn't for me, I think, and I think that the heel dynamic may have added to that. Uh, I don't even know necessarily just the interference and stuff was a bad thing here because it, it kept the match sort of, uh, I don't know, it just added a little bit more interest and entertainment to it. But the match itself, even though I love both these guys, I just did not think it was the best. And it's probably one that like I would not go back and just seek out uh, unless I was just watching this show over, to be honest. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, especially because, uh, I, like you said, this uh, this finish is, is kind of quintessential Attitude Era with the belt shot and then the stunner, like the interference from Stone Cold. And then Kurt draping his arm over with the three count. Even he had, like, he had a few finishes in title matches similar to this during this era. I mean, like, basically uh, on another level, though, uh, the six-man Armageddon Hell in a Cell uh, similarly ended with, with Kurt uh, taking advantage of of somebody else using their finisher, just draping his arm over for three count, squeaking out the win like that. So yeah, just just not a lot, not a lot to love in this match in terms of uh in terms of what they're doing in the ring and creativity. But still, Kurt's skills uh, during this early era of his career are just incredible to watch. Like this opening stretch from his from his debut up until his departure in 2006. And right now, I'm going to do a uh, a cheap plug for our Kurt Angle documentary <laughs> that's over on the 411 Mania YouTube channel. But uh. It may be one of the most impressive early WWE runs of all time. And then this match was uh, – he he tries out his moonsault a, a lot. And uh, not in this match in particular, but he always goes for the moonsault. He doesn't often hit it. But in this match, uh, he finally hits it one out of like 50 times. He, he, he gets to hit his moonsault. Yeah, this was um... – Again, I, I don't know. This is a match probably I, I could recommend it in terms of if you if you haven't seen the show, go back and watch it. Especially I mean it's an important match, I guess, if you're if you're talking about what's gonna happen in the Rumble and what's gonna happen at No Way Out in WrestleMania seventeen, because it does lead to some stuff, but um not not a ton else. I thought this was just sort of a, a very sort of slow, methodical type match, but uh, you had some of those from Triple H when he worked as a heel. Um maybe even more so in his later years, uh, in terms of, you know, maybe getting into oh seven. No, we're just in different places, but uh, I think this was one definitely that, uh, yeah, it was there. And uh, I don't know that it was the best uh, match in Royal Rumble history, but uh, it was okay. Uh, all right. And now we get to the big match, the Royal Rumble. Um, before that, we had Kevin Kelly with The Rock. Uh, Kevin Kelly's interactions with The Rock were always fun. Um, and who knew that uh, 20 years later, The Rock would be the biggest movie star in the world. Kevin Kelly would be the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So uh, there you go. That's uh, There's your tr career trajectories for those two. Uh, but we do have the 2001 Royal Rumble match, and uh, this was a star-studded affair here. 
Uh, you had uh, quite a, it's fun to think back like all the different talents that they had at this time. Uh, this was 2001 for sure, because uh, all of these different acts and uh, different, you know, wrestlers they have in here, even some surprises we're going to talk about along the way. Uh, all right, Andy, we start. Uh, Jeff Hardy comes in at number one. Uh, Bull Buchanan comes in at number two. Uh, not a whole lot happening there until uh, we get Matt Hardy coming in at number three. That's where Bull Buchanan gets eliminated, and they really start to play up that every man for himself uh, aspect. You know, they've done this before in terms of having the tag team partners come in and just kind of, you know, be in a situation where you're really playing up, okay, two tag guys going at each other, uh, having a chance to to really fight it out. That's the Royal Rumble. No one's teaming up. They're just trying to to win to get your shot at the title at WrestleMania. Uh, Farouk comes in at number four. Farouk gets eliminated pretty quickly. Uh, and that's where I said earlier, you know, they had the backstage skit with the APA talking about how it was so interesting when they showed each other their numbers. And I'm like, well, surely this is going to lead to something. I'm like, you know, it actually leads to absolutely nothing. Like, there's nothing to note here uh, of that going back <laughs> to it. So, because uh, Bradshaw doesn't come yeah, in for the, a while. They're a know? solid 12, 12 entries away from <laughs> Yeah. And, and so that's why I was remembering back. I was like, I don't remember their spot in this match. And as I watched that, I was like, okay, well, surely it's going to lead to something. And I'm like, wait a second. This literally goes nowhere. Uh, but Matt and, and Jeff start ripping their shirts off and going after each other. Um, so, they, this again, this, they're really playing up the fire between these two. And uh, we will stop here at this next point and get some thoughts because uh, Drew Carey comes in at number five. And the crowd is just, they're all into Drew. They're just giving these huge Drew chants. Um, you know, this, I think, Andy, the best way to put it is probably back before WWE completely obliterated the novelty of having these celebrity appearances. And it's not as though Drew Carey was just this huge, massive star at the time, but it was just different to see these guys. Whereas, you know, eventually they would get to the celebrity guest posts and all this other stuff and bringing people in and out all over the place all the time. Uh, this was, you know, it felt a little more rare there in this era. Uh, and then, so of course you have him come in. Kane comes in at number six before that Jeff and Matt had eliminated each other. Uh, so leaving drew on his own. Uh, and then Kane comes in at number six and, uh, that's, that's where things get fun. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's the the context of of this uh, of this celebrity entrant, I guess, was just completely different than uh, than what we're looking at today. If Drew Carey came out, well, let's take Drew Carey out of the out of the uh, equation because if he came out at this year's Rumble, I'm sure people would be glad to see him. But uh, <laughs> but if any other celebrity came out in in a Royal Rumble nowadays, I'm sure that the internet would just uh, would just tear it down. Yeah. But because of the context surrounding it. And of course, they even had a little bit of a story built in, like you said, Drew Carey interacting with Kane earlier in the evening, and uh, and he he doesn't quite get his comeuppance, but we get a bit of comedy. Yeah, it was, um, you know, you look at Kane coming in at number six, and then you know that's where I, you had the shenanigans of, of Drew Carey going for the handshake, um, and he tries to offer Kane the money. Uh, I thought this was really funny too, and him begging for the Hardys to come back in the ring was also hilarious. Uh, so he did a good job, like you said. I mean, he did he did a good job just being in the spot, and uh, he, he made the most of it. Um, and then uh, then he eliminates himself shortly after after Raven comes in at number seven, uh, with Raven making the save as Kane went for the choke slam on Drew Carey, but Drew's like, I I'm out of here, and uh, he throws himself over, and he's he's done. So uh, Al Snow comes in way too early at number eight, but just because he wanted to to get a nice attack in on uh, Raven, and uh, in one of the first hardcore spots of the night, uh, was not a good night for Raven either. We talked about Earl Hebner uh, taking some bumps here. Well, uh, Al Snow used a, a bowling ball to send it right into uh, Raven's uh, nether regions there, 
as uh, he just uh, rolled a strike into the corner. Uh, so Raven probably not feeling uh, too great uh, there with that one. Uh, Kane, you know, takes some dueling trash can shots, and this is where the, the match sort of, you know, goes into the hardcore uh, era. Uh, Perry Saturn comes in at number nine. Uh, Terry Reynolds is out with him, and uh, we talked about different eras. Uh, I think what Terry's wearing here uh, on another level and definitely part of the Attitude Era uh, for sure. Uh, Steve Blackman at number 10. Uh, again, this is basically a hardcore match. Like there's just, <laughs> there's weapons everywhere. Uh, Grandmaster Sexay coming in at number 11. I tell you this, Andy, I, I thought about this just, you know, Rikishi at this time was not, I mean, he had, he had turned heel at this point and we'll get to him in a minute, but my goodness, like the fans love too cool. Like, I think that's something you always think about, like, you know, Grandmaster Sexay, Scotty Tuhati, who we'll also get to in a second. Uh, man, I, I sometimes forget just how over these dudes were, but th- their act was really over at this time. Oh, yeah. Even whenever they returned in, like, what was it, 2004, 2005, 2006, yeah. whenever that was that they were actually returned as a too cool, they were always such a hot act. And it always seemed like uh, Rikishi kind of kind of resented that, unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, always a very, very hot act. And, and around this point is when you start really seeing the, uh, the variety of this rumble. Of course, early on, you have Matt and Jeff, the intrigue in that situation – then you have the uh, the comedy coming in with Drew Carey. Then Kane's coming in. He's he's the big monster, and that's followed up by this by this huge little hardcore stint for about I don't know what five or six. Minutes. Yeah. And then the uh, the next entrant number twelve, right after Grandmaster Sexay, you have the Honky Tonk Man coming in for another spot. So yeah, just making sure that uh, every type of fan that's viewing uh, is is staying interested throughout throughout the match. It's not a it's not one note. And uh, j- j- just a lot of different variables at play throughout the. Yeah, honky tonk man. Uh, that's uh, well, and of course we know. Like before that, Kane had eliminated everyone, so all the guys are out. It's just Kane in there, and then Honky Tonk Man comes out uh, wanting to to do his song, and he's basically just brushing Kane off. Uh, so Kane decides to hit him with a guitar and uh, just basically shakes his head, eliminates Honky Tonk Man. So uh, fans were happy about that. Uh, they appreciated that uh, from Kane. Uh, the Rock at number 13. Uh, drawing the unlucky number there. And uh, something else I noticed, we also had this with The Undertaker later, but uh, on the overlay uh, of The Rock's entrance, you know, they put his name up there and everything with the graphic. Uh, they're also advertising therock.com. So back in 2001, I don't remember visiting therock.com uh, because we also had undertaker.com later. I don't remember what they had with these websites, but uh, I assume these were company-produced websites, uh, but I don't really remember uh, how they did these, but uh, I have to assume that's what they were because I'm just thinking back. I'm like, how many times did I visit the rock.com in 2001? I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I, I, can't say, uh, I can't say that I ever visited the webpage, but yeah, the, the birth of uh, the, the internet, of course, getting huge around this time, WWE wanting to take as much advantage as they can, as they do with just about everything. That's uh, that's the case. Uh, so, the Good Father comes in at number fourteen. Uh, so that's uh, that's different. We talk about right to censor, and here was another one uh, where the Good Father comes in. He gets thrown out pretty quick by the Rock. Uh, Taz comes in at number fifteen. Uh, Kane eliminates him in about five seconds, and the crowd was pissed at this. Um, which uh, that's another thing that Jr. talked about in in the uh, 2001 Royal Rumble podcast that he did uh, was about basically how things changed so much for Taz from the year before. Where we think about in 2000 Royal Rumble, he comes out and makes Kurt Angle submit. 
yet. Uh, and then one year later, it takes about five seconds of the rumble and he gets thrown out. Uh, so it was not a factor at all in this match. Uh, Bradshaw at number 16. Uh, Albert comes in at number 17. Hardcore Holly is number 18. Um, K-Quick comes in at number 19. K-Quick, man, that's uh, that's another one, man. Thinking back at K-Quick, and you say, hey, 20 years later, like he's still, he's still running strong too. I don't think that's one you probably would have predicted 20 years ago. Not only is he running strong, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> he he, does. It, 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 it's like uh, it's like back in 2001, he might as well have jumped in a time machine and uh, and went and defended the 24-7 title because that's what it's looking like. He, he Oh, my gosh. He, he has some sort of uh, access to the fountain of youth, this guy. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, man, it's, I mean, it's just... Yeah, I don't know how he's he's done it. Yeah, I mean he's he's been able to keep it going. But uh, K Quick to our truth, so still using the letter uh, as the first part of his uh, name, but just uh, changed it up a little bit. So uh, K Quick comes in at nineteen, um, and uh, Val Venus comes in at number twenty. He was with the right to censor at this point, so we get to hear that awful music again uh, with him coming in at twenty. William Regal is at number twenty-one. Test at number twenty-two. Uh, Test throws Regal out. That leads to a surprise return at this time, or just, I don't, you know, people probably knew, but at, at this time, uh, you did have someone make a return here, and it was the big show at number 23. Uh, show goes on a run, uh, quickly eliminates Test and K-Quick, uh, and choke slams pretty much the entire group that's in the ring. Uh, he gives everyone a choke slam, uh, but uh, as the year before, where you had to finish with The Rock and The Big Show, uh, a little more definitive here as The Rock clothesline Big Show to eliminate him. Uh, show goes after the announce table and uh, decides that he's going to put The Rock over there with it. Uh, and so Big Show choke slams The Rock through the announce table. Uh, Crash Holly's in at number 24. Everyone trying to gang up to throw The Undertaker out. And then, Andy, uh, just as you would expect, number 25 uh, is The Undertaker coming in uh, to help uh, his brother there uh, in Kane. Yeah, and, and seeing the Brothers of Destruction kind of uh, have a team up here, course uh there's that moment where where they clear the ring and then they kind of stare at each other for a moment and then uh and then poor scotty too hottie <laughs> comes out as a uh, as number uh number 26 i believe and uh oh gosh just iconic just staring staring in the face of the brothers of destruction they hit him with that with that double choke slam and oh my gosh the brothers of destruction seeing them work together is always just so fun Scotty Tuhati's facial expressions here, like they are fantastic. Like he comes out and he just he looks like that he is just this little kid that's just walked into you know, I don't know, just like a, a room full of monsters. And um, that's exactly what it was because he his facial expressions coming out to the ring were just great. He gets in, gets eliminated real quick. Uh, Rock's still struggling to get up. And then Steve Austin is in at number 27. But before he can do anything uh, of any substance, uh, Triple H attacks him from behind. Uh, Rock is now back inside the ring, and Triple H and Austin start fighting. And my goodness, Austin is bleeding everywhere. Like, this guy does a blade job. Uh, I think Cody's probably still uh, ahead of his in terms of uh, the match he had with Dustin, but holy cow, like Austin is bleeding pretty bad here. 
uh, from his head. And you can even see the gash a little bit later once he's back in the ring. And, like, this gash in his head is just disgusting. Um, but, uh, again, we, it goes back to what we said earlier with their playing up this, you know, Triple H, Austin costing Triple H, Triple H costing Austin, like, those back and forth here. Uh, so he tries to do that again here. Uh, Billy Gunn at number 28. There's another one. What do you know? Billy Gunn's still out uh, doing his thing 20 years later. Uh, Billy using uh, the one gimmick here. So he was the one Billy Gunn. Austin ble- bleeding profusely still at this point. <laughs> I mean, just disgusting. Uh, And then we get the final two, Haku at number 29, Rikishi at number 30. And, of course, we'd eventually get these two uh, teaming up together. Uh, But uh, they are the final two. Haku was actually a uh, surprise return here. I don't think anyone expected that because he was in WCW, I want to say, that same week. And maybe it jumped uh, during that point. But um, he's he's here now as the uh, surprise entrant. And uh, that led to a pretty crazy sequence here towards the end, Andy. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, first of all, you need to comment on Haku and uh, and Undertaker's little interaction. <laughs> of course, uh, or, or, or rather Rikishi and the Undertaker, I guess, uh, because uh, Undertaker, of course, trying to do the, the headbutts to the Samoan, and that never works out. Rikishi hitting them with a, with, with a super kick, and, and Undertaker is out of there in kind of unceremonious fashion. Of course, not as much as a... As Maven the the next year, but uh, yeah. man, I hate to see the Undertaker treated that way. Uh, one of my favorites that uh, it hurts my heart. Hurt heart. <laughs> I mean, Rikishi, they they were pushing him, weren't they? I mean, we think back even. I guess a month earlier, you know, you had the big uh, Armageddon uh, six-way Hell in a Cell, and, um, you know, that come off the heels of Rikishi doing it for The Rock uh, and all that stuff. But uh, they they were pushing Rikishi hard. There's no doubt about it uh, at this point. Uh, but we did get to the Final Four in this match after Rock eliminated Rikishi, so I guess he finally gets the ultimate revenge uh, there for that entire uh, storyline. Uh, final Four is uh, down to The Rock, Steve Austin, Kane and Billy Gunn. Uh, Austin throws Billy out, uh, and this is where I think right after he throws Billy out, you you get sort of a zoom into his forehead and like the cut on his head is just insane. Um, and then you have the stare down here, Andy. And this is the thing, like even going back to like Hogan and Warrior uh, way back in the day, like you just knew at this point. I mean, we had already pretty much felt like they were going to get to Austin and Rocket WrestleMania, but I thought the video production here and just the camera work was fantastic in terms of how they did this where it almost had that New Japan-esque like you get now, where you have guys just kind of staring at each other uh, out of the corner before the match starts. Uh, You had Austin in one corner, Rock in the other corner. They're just staring each other down, and then they slowly walk to meet in the middle. Uh, And I just thought that was such a great spot here. Oh, it's such a perfect tease, too. Because, of course, uh, we know that it's not going to be Austin and Rock in the final two uh, but, but, but yeah, this, this little tease here and just the facial expressions that we're playing with stone cold with, uh, obviously that cold stare through his crimson mask and rock looking almost nervous at first before, uh, before he goes up face to face with Austin. But yeah, the, uh, the storytelling that they're, that they're doing here without saying a single word just shows two masters of their craft and, uh, and got everybody hyped for uh for wrestlemania 17 even if they didn't know that was the main event at this point uh, and then you know you had the rest of it play out here austin with the stunner on the rock rock eventually hits the rock bottom on kane uh rock throws kane out uh, through the middle rope to the outside so uh he's still in the match 
Rock and Austin go solo for a bit. Kane back in, Austin and Rock fighting near the ropes, and this is where you get one of those frequent spots we've seen over the years where Kane uh, throws the Rock out and Austin manages to stay in. So final two is Kane and Austin. Kane with a chokeslam on Austin. Austin with a low blow on Kane. Kane goes for the chair, uh, but Austin hits the stunner. And uh, three chair shots uh, from Austin to Kane, and then a clothesline to eliminate Kane. Uh, and Austin is your winner of the 2001 Royal Rumble. Um, like we said, I think the the biggest thing that stood out here was the obvious point they were trying to get to with Austin and Rock with the little stare down they had at the end. But man, Kane's performance here, uh, which you know this was part of that him to that point holding the record of number of people being thrown out and how long he stayed in. I mean, we got to remember, like, Kane came in this match at number six, and for a big man, you know, we talked about all the guys over the years who were able to have those long, you know, streaks of being in the Rumble and all that. I think we think back to, like, Shawn Michaels in 95 at number one. Uh, Rick Martell was the one they used to play up. You know, Ric Flair winning it in 92, which we talked about last week from number three. But Kane is a big man to be in there from number six all the way to the end. Uh, that's, that's some stamina there uh, for the big red machine. Yeah, and it's not like he was just laying around. When you're paying, you have to be up and you have to be dominating throughout the majority of the match, too. And that's obvious in the, uh, is it 11 or 12 entrants that he uh, that he eliminated? At the, time it was, at the time, it was a record, yeah. But yeah, Kane, super active throughout this whole rumble, lasting well over, well, it had to be well over 50 minutes. But, uh, but yeah, just, just quite a performance here. Maybe even a, a career performance for Kane. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was 11 is what it was uh, for him holding the record. And he was in there 53 minutes and 46 seconds. Uh, so, yeah, just, uh, this is a rarity. Uh, you know, we go back, and as we said, all the different guys you could point out have been in there a long time. But I think for a big guy like that who wasn't just laying in the corner, like he, he was up doing stuff, as you mentioned, uh, very impressive performance from Kane, uh, just uh, was was all over the place. And, uh Excellent performance from Kane, but the winner, Steve Austin, and that would lead to the eventual match uh, between Austin and The Rock at WrestleMania. That would come after The Rock defeated Angle for the title at No Way Out. Uh, But Andy, uh, your biggest takeaways here from the 2001 Royal Rumble, where do you think you would rank this? Uh, I'm sure without both of us going back and watching every one of them to compare right now, uh, I'd have to say this... Again, show-wise, from top to bottom, you know, back in the day, the undercard wasn't great on the Rumble. You just had kind of a lot of filler. Uh, Didn't necessarily have a ton of great matches, but this felt like one where every match, you know, had meaning to it. Uh, There was something on the line pretty much in every match on this card. The undercard was pretty good, uh, but the Rumble itself, I thought, was really structured very well. Uh, You had a lot of stuff coming out of that. Uh, I would have to say this has to be one of the best Rumbles they've done. Oh yeah, without question, in the upper echelon of uh, of rumble matches. Yeah, my biggest takeaway just has to be uh, the amount of variety that they were playing with here. They 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 didn't lean too far in one direction. You had the, um, of course, the amazing star power uh, with with Stone Cold and The Rock, and and even with with Kane. But yeah, Kane and the Undertaker playing the playing the monster game. Even even Big Show in there at uh, at one point for a little while. Uh, you had the big hardcore segment. You had the comedy spots. So yeah, just just playing it, playing with a lot of different variables, lots of different directions. But if that's not my biggest takeaway, the thing that probably stood out to me the most is Jr. calling Albert a young man as he comes in the <laughs> ring, which was very very striking. Because yeah, he was a young man at this time, 
but he's always looked like a uh, yep. looked like a fifty year old biker or something like that. <laughs> so Albert running into the ring and Jr. coming calling him a uh, calling him a young man. It kind of kind of took me aback for a moment. So yeah, it, it, if not the variety, that's probably my biggest takeaway. There you go, uh, Albert, forty five for the past twenty years. So uh, that's that's it. But uh, yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. This is certainly uh, a recommend for me in terms of uh, if you want to go back and, and watch some of these rumbles to get ready for the twenty twenty one edition of the Royal Rumble. This is one I would definitely put on my list because uh, there was a lot of good stuff in here and uh, a lot of star power for sure. You know, when you go up and down the line with with Austin, Rock, Taker, Kane, Triple H. Angle, um, you know, Jericho, Benoit, like the tag teams, the Dudleys, Hardys, Edge and Chris, like there's just, man, there's a lot of, a lot of stars here uh, for sure uh, in this one and including uh, our friend Drew Carey. So uh, definitely lots of star power at the 2001 Royal Rumble. But uh, Andy, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we're enjoying this here with our new retro review series. As I said earlier, uh, we talked to Steve Cook last week uh, for the 1992 Royal Rumble. And uh, speaking of Steve Cook, uh, you and Steve actually did a little talking yourself here recently as you guys uh, covered the uh, second night of a uh, New Year's Smash for AEW on Dissecting Dynamite. And uh, I know you've got that up on the YouTube channel, but you've also got some uh, Royal Rumble-related stuff uh, coming up here pretty soon as well. Most definitely, most definitely. We are working on a, uh, a short history of the surprise Royal Rumble entrance. Uh, I don't know if uh, if Big Show is going to show up in that video or not. I don't know if Haku's going to show up in that video, but, uh, but it's going to be a good one. Just uh, outlining one of the most exciting aspects of the Royal Rumble, and that is, of course, the surprises that come along with it. So keep an eye out for that. That's coming out Royal Rumble weekend right there at the 411 Mania YouTube channel. In addition to that, if you guys haven't watched our uh, our best matches of 2020 video, that's featuring Blake. Uh, it's featuring uh, Mr. Steve Cook, featuring Andrew Thompson over at Post Wrestling. Uh, lots of great people involved in, uh, in a really great video, so make sure you go and watch that as well. And just keep an eye out for uh, for all the great stuff that we have coming here at 411 Mania. Make sure you like and make sure you subscribe as always. Yep, check all that out at the YouTube uh, channel. We'll have the link to it in the show notes uh, as always. So be sure to check that out. And uh, we'll again uh, have the link to the GoFundMe uh, for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes as well. Uh, so continue to share and contribute if you can. Uh, everything else over at 411mania.com. Check it all out over there. Subscribe to the podcast. Any podcast app you use, uh, you can find us on there. And uh, thanks, as always, uh, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.